On today's episode, we welcome Claire Fudge, a high-performance nutritionist and clinical dietitian and Ironman triathlete from Birmingham, England. I nearly ran out of breath with your long title there, Claire. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And I don't want to make you feel bad that I'm running out of breath. I could have taken a deeper breath. But like, what is amazing is that you are—you have squeezed a lot into your life. And it, it's quite amazing for me to be looking from afar. Um, I had um, interviewed one of your athletes who, um, you know, really could just not sing um, any higher of your of your ability. She was just so happy with with your involvement in her life, and I have since then been very very keen to have a catch up with you. So thanks so much for being here. No, it's great. It's um it, it's fantastic to have the opportunity and sort of the privilege to work with some of these athletes as well. So it's um no, it's it's great, and um yeah, look forward to to chatting to you. And- and so for, for people who haven't yet come across you on your journey, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your endurance life? Yep. So um, I guess my my sort of um, – oh, I started doing sort of endurance really through through running really. Um, so I'd, I'd run for a number of years. Like everybody sort of gets into triathlon in a, in a kind of strange way often or endurance triathlon in a, in a bit of a strange way. Um, but I used to – do a lot of running um and then had a bit of a uh oil tanker versus me moment on the road um so I was lucky enough (laughs) so that was uh that was uh strange but I managed to walk away from that well not walk away from it at the time but uh after after about six months I was able to sort of get back into things um so that was for any of you that are no North Yorkshire it was up in uh, um, the North Yorkshire Dale so beautiful part of the country where the um the tour had been through as well um so nice and hilly like perfect training ground it's um, amazing out there um I I guess that's actually probably what taught me some endurance as well because once you were out on on the kind of uh, the dales you were out um there was no kind of shortcuts back at all it was always via some massive hill somewhere as well but um yeah so that from from running and then having to have time out um from running um and just being told that all I needed to do the whole time in my recovery was to swim and I absolutely at that point hated swimming because that's all the physios would tell me to do and that I couldn't get back running and all I wanted to do and I'm sure every athlete kind of feels like this is that you know you just want to speed up your recovery anything that you can do to get back out there really um so my um my sister actually was um and and her husband and a whole group of their friends have made this little triathlon cup um called Battenberg which is also I don't know if you know of Battenberg actually but Battenberg I haven't heard of it yet. No, Battenberg is a cake which is uh, pretty amazing. Actually it's just it's full of sugar really but um it is pretty amazing when you when you need that kind of sugar rush. Um but it's uh, you might have, if I if I describe it it's like a um um harlequins of yellow and pink and then it's wrapped in marzipan um I mean it sounds super healthy doesn't it but um Mm -hmm. it does it does the job when you need it I can tell you um and I actually relied on it in uh in a sportifa I did the other day as well and I realized how much um it was pretty amazing at the time so um I digress anyway but um so I had to have time out of of running and it was a quite a slow recovery back into sort of getting out there and doing things um and my sister kind of said to me look you're gonna have to have to do something different you're not gonna be able to run and run and run um so I 
went to our local triathlon shop, um, had no idea what I was doing and went and bought a uh, time trial bike, as you do, um, a wetsuit and um, I bought something else at the time, I can't remember what it was, a wetsuit, a uh, triathlon bike and a, a few other sort of bits of kit and just got out there and that's kind of where it began really, I guess, just the, the, the kind of bug. Um, and just decided one Christmas I was going to do an Ironman. So that's that's kind of where it came from, really. Wow, um, Merry Merry Christmas. You just, yeah. you know, the festive season, you know, you're feeling, you're on a high, you're, you're unwrapping gifts, and it's like, you yeah. know what, I'm just going to go and do one of the most difficult um, yeah. endurance events, uh, you know, on the earth. I mean, I know there's some ultra and things, but Ironman's certainly a big, big race. So so that wasn't the first triathlon, though, I hope. Like, you're not like, um, I mean, that's if it was, that's pretty incredible. But was there some some small ones in in, in the mix there? Yeah. So I um I was living um I was living in Bath, which is a beautiful spa town in um in the UK, and um pretty kind of hilly around there as well. And, and joined a little triathlon club. Um, I hadn't swum since I was about um, I don't know well at school really. And I remember getting in the university pool. And thinking, Jesus, you know, the the length is mass, like it's really long. I can't ever remember a length being this long. And then kind of found out later on it was a 50 meter pool. I'd never swum in one before. So um, mm. it was just, it was a big shock all around. But they just started doing, I mean, no structured training whatsoever. Just, you know, every, everything I do, I will, I will just not give in. Um, I just will just keep going and going and going. So I, um, kind of learned to swim front crawl properly and actually breathe um and pretty much raced a sprint triathlon or an olympic triathlon every weekend um some might call it overtraining i think it probably was at the time but i just realized that i was i was all right and i was winning things and that to me was like i just totally got the bug and i just i just love the competitive world um i love to push myself so that that's kind of where I'd come from at the beginning I mean I, I didn't really know how to ride a bike I just kind of got on and, and did it um so um that's I think interesting I, yeah yeah I just I, like you know what's so funny though is you know the first time I hopped in a 50 meter pool actually the first time I hopped in a 25 meter pool it's not you're like oh that's not too far until you start trying to swim when you're not a good swimmer yeah. and you're like oh my god 25 meters is far yeah. and then when you do sit in a 50 meter pool, you're like, come on, someone's mismeasured this thing. But then what's hilarious about that is that the 50 meters compared to like 3.8 kilometers for a, for an Ironman, like you, you start to really then appreciate, uh, you know, the length of things. Like I think at times I don't appreciate, uh, or give the respect that certain distances require, uh, yeah. hence why I'm happy to put my hand up to go and do an 8K swim in about, you know, eight, eight or nine weeks' time. And it's not until you sort of turn up and you're like actually see 8Ks, you're like, yeah, that's that's pretty far. Um, oh, and I bet yeah. once I'm in the water, I'm going to be like, oh, my God. So, but what I do find interesting is you've then gone from that, this never-giving attitude, which I just absolutely love hearing that, um, to then, you know, you're doing these events, you're obviously doing well, which is pretty cool, um, mm-hmm. and then – and then so often, like every weekend. So it's cool that there's enough triathlons around for you yeah. to be able to enter into those. That that's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, so so tell me about those those events. Like you're you're in them. You, you don't exactly know, but you're winning. So like, what are you just like pretty blindingly fast, like naturally, or? I I think I am, and I think my family would probably agree. I just I am so competitive with whatever I do. 
um I think at the time as well like I all I had no idea I had no coach no structure just went out there and as soon as I was in that kind of competitive arena I just went for it I think I mean I, I had no idea about holding back on the bike um so I would say probably my swimming just came on and on and then my bike is probably my being a runner by background actually my bike is the strongest and I think I just used to kind of smash smash it on the bike really and that's how I was winning these these shorter events at the time um and and with uh, a, a bit more youth on my side I think you could do things back to back um you know weekend after weekend but we had we had loads when I was um living in the south of England there were lots of events we were really lucky um in that sense that you didn't have to travel very far to go and go and do a really sort of friendly um local event um so mm. yeah that's kind of where I where I learned really um, that's intriguing and so like you're, you're you're knocking out sprints olympics how long did that go on before you thought um or was the the thought about the ironman prior to these or did it come after you had been in it for a while then then came across ironman so um i i had done triathlon for for quite a number of years um well a couple of years i guess and after my sister had and i joined our little our kind of family and friends battenberg club um I um I would kind of ended up being the person that was going to every single event and winning stuff. So um I um had always thought about doing Ironman. So I for, for anybody who who knows some of the older events in the UK, there used to be Ironman UK, which was Sherbourne. And um Sherbourne was 10 minutes from where I grew up, and it's like a little local, a beautiful local town. And they used to swim in the um, in the lake of the old Sherborne Castle. I mean, it sounds idyllic, doesn't it? And it is actually pretty idyllic. And as as um, youngsters, my sister and I used to to go into Sherborne, and we used to walk around um, um, sort of the weekend or the days leading up to the Ironman event. So we used to always see this year after year. All the roads would get closed. Um, it was really exciting. We used to go and watch. And I remember one of the things that my sister and I used to say is like, oh, my God, look at all these athletes. So we used to see the women and the men walking around. And we used to be like, we were just in awe. And one of the things I always said at the time was I'd love, I really want to do an Ironman. And I didn't realize like how big an event it was. Um, but I just remember it was held every year in Sherbourne. And um, these people looked super fit. And I just couldn't believe what they were doing. Um, so that's where kind of this probably the seed was sown I guess in a sense um, and it was really sad then because it was stopped the Ironman UK um, stopped for a number of years and um, wasn't in Sherbourne anymore and moved up to well up further further up north to Bolton um, so that's probably where I first thought about it um, to be honest. Mm, and and that's interesting so then finally the time comes did you go half Ironman first then Ironman? uh <laughs> no I didn't well I didn't do any um I'm trying to I'm trying to think now I I didn't do any um like dot as in like Ironman events I think I went and did um the equivalent of a, of a half Ironman race somewhere um I'm not particularly great at that distance actually that kind of in between distance for me I'm not I'm I think I'm just not fast enough probably but um I can't I actually I really can't can't remember at all um but certainly in the I was living up in North Yorkshire at the time when I first decided I was going to do it and that's where I really learned to cycle 
um, re I had to learn. Um, again, if you've ever sort of seen what the hills are like around North Yorkshire, um, we had a tiny cycling club that I joined um, and, and with the with the never give up attitude as well. There were so I turned up to uh, I turned up to the cycling club. There were um, 10 of us with me. I was the only female. Um, so there were no groups of cyclists. I had no idea what I was doing. Turned up on a time trial bike with everybody on their road bikes in the middle of winter. Um, and just to hang, like literally hung on at the back for dear life. Um, and I, I was not going to get dropped. Um, so that's, that's how I had to learn to cycle. Well, that's um, something else because, you know, like I've yeah. cycled with people and, and the ability to not get dropped, I have not mastered that yet because it's just as though I'm my, like, there's always a tendency that I, or, or a feeling I have to look down at my pedals and just make sure that I'm not pedaling backwards <laughs> because people on bikes who are fast, they just, they just disappear. The distance, it's one of those disciplines, especially, you know, in, in, in races and especially long races that you can see how that really can put daylight between. Now, it just turns out that I'm also half as fast as they are when they run and also half as fast when they swim. Um, so, like, I think there's a general theme of the speed of me as an athlete. Um, but it does say something about yourself if you're able to actually keep up with these people, um, you know, on and maybe not the right bike at the time. Um, and also with the men, you know, probably there's probably some egos there in the group too, to want to make sure that they pushing themselves. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Cause actually, um, well, what they used to do and I, I'm thinking back cause I cycle with the cycling club now and, and just thinking back to kind of when I first started is they started putting me right in the middle of the pack. Um, again, I like, I'd never ridden like literally tire to tire. I, again, I had no idea what I was doing, but because they didn't want to drop me, um, well, they, actually, they wanted to get to the cafe and wanted to get home, I think is more the case, um, <laughs> rather than not drop me. But um, I there were, there were two um, cycling clubs. And I didn't realise there was another cycling club. Um, and it wasn't till one of my um, friends who I um, met kind of along the way said to me, I, I can't believe you're still in the cycling club. Usually they will drop you and that'll be it. No girls go back. And I was like, well, I kind of am the only girl that's there. Um, but yeah, I think that that just all kind of ties in with my, I am I am not going to give up. I'm, you know, you can, you can live and well wait for me and I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I kind of stay with you. So, so I think that was probably built to me as a cyclist, actually. If I'm really that's honest. a big thing that's a big thing isn't it it's it's the not giving in thing and I, and yeah. it's, it's interesting like even though I'm miles slower than everybody else I think there does come to be a level of like oh wow that person's still in it and it's like you know the 17 hour people at the end of a um, Ironman I mean you know they're getting the, some of the loudest cheers and and when you ask people they're like well, what about that Ironman you know stood out apart from your you know uh, your, your involvement in the event they'll be like oh we went to the um, finish line at midnight and we watched these people coming across and, and that the you know they're the ones that they remember so so I think that that never say die um attitude it's a big thing in life and it, and it obviously can yeah. carry you through to your dreams your goals and, and anything that you kind of set your mind on yeah absolutely and I think um I think I think that kind of mindset is something that I've always had and I think I think it can be amazing for you and I think it can take you where you want to go and 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 kind of you know will always take you to the finish line and I know that no matter what happens I will always always finish so I can remember an event that was um a small event and it was pouring and pouring with rain as it as it 
does in the UK um, in June or July time. And the roads, um, they they've been um, doing some. I don't even know what they've been would have been doing at the time, but the, the roads are really muddy anyway and had stones on them where the farmers have come out and tractors and things. And I had I think I had two or three punctures. Um, so you can imagine it's raining, it's wet, get a couple of punctures, run out of inner tubes, run out. I mean, this is a really short event as well, but I just did not give up. I literally had a couple of gas canisters and literally just put some extra gas in just to get back. I mean, it was flat by the time I got back, back to transition. But I, and I, you know, I didn't finish last actually. I made up some time on the run, but I, um, I just was not, I was, I was going to finish. Like there was nothing, nothing that would stop me from finishing. Um, wow. That's incredible. I love. Oh my gosh, that's that's like hair hair standing up in the back of your neck kind of stuff. Just to <laughs> yeah, to. to it's, a bit, like, it's, it's a bit crazy, probably. But, oh you know. no, it feels like a movie. It feels like I'm I'm <laughs> I'm just picturing a movie in my mind of like this this grit, this determination, this this never quit, and yeah, like that's that's very motivational. I I do love that. And so so all of a sudden, then you get into this Ironman, and and I find it intriguing that the middle distance doesn't feel right. Like, you know, somewhat, and I, it's not the first time I've heard that, you know, you, it's interesting to think that if you're going up distances, that it's not um, harder, 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 that it actually could be like, you know, maybe even easier going longer distances, maybe because the pace isn't exactly the same, or maybe it's about, you know, a certain pace over a longer time and you can, you can sustain it. So what, what was your first Ironman like? Do you remember that one? I do. I did Ironman Bolton, actually. Um, <laughs> it's not the most scenic of places to go and do an Ironman. I wished it was in Sherbourne at the time. Um, I I was very ready for it. Like I was lucky enough to train with a couple of guys who had done Ironmans for years. And, and actually, a lot of my learning came from one of, one of my really good friends who'd, who is quite a bit older than me, but he's done Ironman for years. So he gave me loads of tips, loads of advice. So still um, no coach yet? No coach yet, self-coached. I bought um, mm. I bought a, um, a couple of books. I kind of read them, but um, if you're learning anything about me, I don't really like being told what to do. So I kind of decided I'd tweak things a little bit to suit me um and training in North Yorkshire was hard it was really hard work so I did actually have to tweak things because I couldn't there wasn't really going out for a flat run anywhere there wasn't really any bike ride there was no point in doing bike ride by um by mileage to be honest because if I went out for a hundred mile bike ride in the um the Yorkshire Dales I mean I would be out for you know 12 hour um rides or something for training rides so I used to go out and 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 literally just go out for a number of hours um so yeah no no coach I probably I, I was actually well I was relatively sensible I, I think um I probably overtrained myself a little bit but I had no idea and I think your your fears about actually finishing the distance is what probably makes you overtrain at that point actually um, but I was really lucky to, to train with with some people from the local triathlon club, um, and like I say, one of my really good friends was um, was kind of really helping me, so that was that was good. Um, bought myself a really cheap turbo, um, worked out how to use it. Um, so that was my training for for Ironman Bolton. Um, I don't think I even went and looked at the course. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't. I just thought I'd turn up and. I had no idea. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. 
and that's mm. the honest truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so what was that um, length like? Because, I mean, I suppose if you're overtraining, you know, or, or training hard or, or yeah. you know, whatever that might look like, I suppose you're probably getting yourself to a point where you're getting used to doing longer things, being out there for that length of time. Yeah. Um, but then to actually turn up and do that event, that must have been a, bit, a good feeling, especially like the competitive side of you. Um, but also, like, something – you could tell me if this is right for you, but, like, yeah. I'm very competitive. I, mm-hmm. I like to win, but I it's not – everything but I also like to push myself that's a win to me if I'm if I'm edging out of my comfort zone and, and achieving things that that were beforehand well out of reach that yeah. is a massive win to me I don't yeah. know if that's how it sort of feels to you but completing that Ironman would have been a good feeling yeah it was and I think it was it was the unknown so to me even my and I, that kind of ring true um rings true with me as well actually because I think all and and everybody that I knew that had done one said to me, you know, knowing you, Claire, you you will finish. There was no doubt about it. You will finish. Like, and I think my number one fear was what happens if I don't, because that would be the only time ever that I haven't. Um, so I knew that I just had to kind of grit my teeth and definitely finish. Um, so I think it was it was a challenge for myself, as in going out there I knew I knew that I had to finish I knew that I had to get round but I can't say that I definitely did it for me to finish as soon as I was out there I was in competition mode from the from absolutely getting in the water um there was nothing about just finishing suddenly it became competitive um pretty early on so um which is interesting because I had no idea how to push myself or anything but all I knew is that I just I, I needed to be as competitive as I could be. Yeah, right. And so, you know, your first Ironman, you're, you're like, because it's just seeing the um, video of, of Ironman and, and the, the, the how far all the swimmers stretch out and, and then, you know, often with like the laps of the running and how many people, uh, it's, it can be tricky, I suppose, because you never, or even in triathlons here, you never exactly know where you are. So, but I just keep looking at people in front of me and think, I just want to overtake them. I want to overtake yeah. them. I want to overtake yeah. them. Um, but then it's also, uh, also a bit tricky because you have to sort of also run your own race and not blow up and you hear a lot of people talking about um iron man you know having to use your nutrition right so i suppose you've got that that friend the books and and people guiding you did you did you have the right sort of nutrition and you, and you weren't even if you're pushing yourself so hard you're not blowing up at the end or how, what did that kind of how'd that go i think um it, it's interesting because as a as a high performance nutritionist i had um absolutely planned to the nth degree kind of what my nutrition was going to look like and let's just say like anything in Ironman it didn't go to plan um Mm. but I actually I I am quite good at having like an A plan and a B plan um so I did do that in terms of nutrition I think also um I learned I learned a lot about nutrition and endurance um not only just during that race probably more so during that race because of what it really feels like um, you know when everything slows down in terms of like um, you know gastric emptying so emptying from your stomach and um, just in terms of what you know what you're actually able to take on especially in the run you know I'd planned to take on x amount of carbohydrates every hour in the run um, that didn't go to plan at all um, so um, but I, I think the training in North Yorkshire had taught me because it was so hilly um, it had really taught me to kind of, you know, fuel properly and what that really felt like, because you're pushing yourself the whole time. 
you know, constantly riding hills is, you know, you're depleting your carbohydrate stores the whole time. So I, I think I was pretty well set up in terms of um, my ability to be able to um, utilize fat stores and carbohydrate stores. So I think I was able to use both energy systems pretty well. And I think that probably stands me in good stead now, but also at the time, um, because when I couldn't take lots of carbohydrates on during during that run, um, my ability to be able to fat burn was, you know, I, I could do it. Um, so looking back now, that's that's my analysis of probably how it got me through as well. Mm-hmm. And so speaking of, um, you know, like it just sounds so cool, high performance nutritionist. Um, and so life as a high performance nutritionist and clinical dietitian. Tell us about that. Tell us what that's like. It's great. I, I, I love um, I kind of fell into it a little bit, actually. Um, so I had always I'd always loved um, sport and I'd always um, had an interest in food. Um, and just to add to it, my family, I grew up in a bakery. So my family had a, um, a bakery and then um, um, a pretty substantial um, business in biscuits. Um, we didn't make fudge, by the way. Everybody says, do you mm. think? No, we didn't make fudge at the time. But um, so I, I kind of grown up in a very foodie kind of environment, um, a very sporty um, kind of background as well. Um, so my my love of kind of food and nutrition has been had, had kind of always always been there, I guess. Um, but I love the, the kind of clinical side. So sometimes I'm working with people, um, you know, on intensive care units, for example, um, or I could be working with um, elite pro athletes. Um, and I also work with sort of younger, um, younger aged athletes as well, which I, I really enjoy. Um, and it can be anything from working with kind of motorsports through to, you know, in, endurance triathlon. So um, it's good. I love it. It's, it does really stretch me. And I think the one thing that I've certainly learned over the years is that all my clinical practice usually comes into play when I'm working with athletes. Um, so that's that's really kind of been... Um, um, kind of a, you know a great thing for me to, to sort of take into working with athletes and working with sport um, and, and I kind of clinically my I, I work with eating disorders as well so that that does unfortunately but but um, exist a lot in sport um, mm. and, and a lot in triathlon and um, so that for me I, I love supporting and working with those kind of athletes and just helping them kind of get back to health but also um, help them to um, realize and appreciate that actually to to perform and um, to f- perform really well and get back to sort of podium is that you you have to be fueling properly you have you have to nourish your body um, mm. and the lighter isn't always better um, and I think that's that's you know I try and get that across the whole time but that's that's really difficult for a lot of people so is there a is there like you know, I'm an athlete or I'm not but let's let's say like let's hone this in somewhat on yeah. an athlete if I'm an athlete how would I, what would be the warning signs that I may have an eating disorder? Like, you know, because it sounds a little negative, um, you know, and, and and it's sometimes hard to, I guess, so maybe want to put a label on it or or, or admit something. But like mm-hmm. you say, if, if if you're able to recognize that there's an issue, then, then you can guide them to a point where they can actually be high performance, which is actually 
most likely the or could be one of the reasons why that disorder is in place. So would there be some warning signs that we could look out for? And then I'm, I'd be interested to know then what might some tips be to sort of guide yourself to where you kind of need to be, where you are being fully nourished um, and, and getting that high performance state. It's interesting, I, and, and probably a lot of people maybe sort of listening to this have heard of um, relative energy deficiency in sport or REDS, and that's kind of um, something new that the um, the IOC has um, been talking about for certainly over the past year, um, which does have a crossover into into eating disorders. So where there's a, basically where there's a mismatch between the um, energy available, your energy that you're taking in, and your energy that you're expending. So sometimes. As athletes, we just don't realise. So say if you're working full time and you're trying to be and you're maybe um, a parent and you're trying to to kind of balance training, life, work. Um, sometimes we just cannot eat enough to fuel our needs. So sometimes it happens without um, any warning, essentially, or kind of subconsciously happens. Um, so the interesting thing is that there's a there's quite a tie-in with um, overtraining as well. So you might find that, um, so I guess some warning signs. Um, so certainly for female athletes, it's a bit easier to see sometimes warning signs because um, a female may lose their periods for a number of um, uh, a number of months um, and that might sort of go on and on. And then obviously that opens you up to, to, to the risk of stress fractures as well. So somebody who, um, in, in a female athlete, it's probably easier and I would always say that in, in, in a sense, it's, it's slightly easier to spot from that point of view. But we know in male athletes as well that um, they often have lower testosterone levels. Um, and and there's, it's it's fascinating kind of the, the hormones that are involved and, and kind of what happens. Um, but, an, but an athlete might um, feel that they are... Um, not being able to get up in the morning to train properly. They may feel that their performance is just kind of um, uh, de declining or decreasing. They may have stress fractures. They may have more injuries or not be recovering properly. Um, they may even lose their appetite as well because actually when we eat less and we're not eating enough and nourishing ourselves enough, um, we actually lose appetite. Um, and actually symptoms of things like GI distress, so things like more like sort of irritable bowel, sort of symptoms um so sort of things like runner's bowel for example that tends to increase a little bit if we're not um giving ourselves enough nutrition as well so it tends to be worse in those people that that aren't eating um particularly well and maybe sort of like a, starting to sort of think too much about food in terms of i need to be dropping weight or feeling guilty after eating certain things because you're trying to get to a you know this golden this golden race weight um so I think there's a, there's a number of different signs, I guess, in in essence. Um, mm. And and the and the mental part is, is certainly would would play a big big place. Like you know, I suppose there's some like very well known eating disorders that you know that kind of grab headlines at times. Um, but you know, even for myself, like I'm I'm I've got carrying a few extra kilos, and I do think to myself at times. I mean, I don't really follow through with awesome awesome food and, and portion size is still a, an issue for me but i but i in my head i do imagine that maybe i wouldn't be half as fast as everybody else if i was a bit lighter and wasn't having to carry as much weight around whatever that might be whether that's true or not or you know whatever um but so i suppose then in a in a, in a headspace where um and that's interesting that reds like going into the red zone where you are 
you know, really not giving yourself enough fuel to actually, mm-hmm. it'd be like going to the, the fuel station and popping in yeah. either no fuel in the tank, stopping at the servo and, but, or not even stopping at the servo, you know, but you need yeah. fuel in the machine to keep going. So, you know, so what's the path out of that? First of all, recognizing it actually, and or having somebody, you know, if you do have a coach, um, I work with, so part of the ethos behind the way that I work is I have a really good and surround myself by a really good multidisciplinary team. So I work with strength and conditioning coaches, um, an endocrinologist, um, sports medicine teams, um, and some really good coaches as well. Um, and the way that I work with those coaches is I try and work really, really closely with them so that we we kind of have a team behind an athlete, essentially, um, so that we can all recognise kind of what's, you know, what's going on as well. So I think there's there's a big responsibility in terms of my responsibility as a um, professional um, and also coaches have have a, have a real responsibility actually to, to really help pick up and guide these athletes. I think... Um, so one of it, one of the first things is noticing. And for a lot of people with an eating disorder... Um, there will be a lot of ambivalence. So they 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 will not want to recognise that there is a problem. Um, and often people don't recognise they've got a problem until something goes wrong. So for, for example, where we might see it is where somebody's tipping up to clinic with a stress fracture or a stress fracture that just isn't um, recovering. Um, and it's interesting to then then sort of go through, um, you know, their, their recent journey and hearing about performance dropping off and then talking about nutrition and then you've got this stress fracture on top of it and it might be at that point that somebody can recognize and say actually yeah you're right I, I do need to change I do need to do something about it um one of the other the other sort of more positive things I guess that I would always do with somebody is um actually look at where their really good races have been so obviously there's a number of factors involved in that but actually what you know if they're measuring their weight what was their weight when they were performing really well and what we often find is that their weight might may it may only be a couple of kilograms heavier but they're performing way better um you know so i think that's quite interesting to to talk through with people um and and really kind of prove that point that lighter lighter isn't always better um and it's you know it's 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 not going to be um, for every body type. We all have different body types. We were talking about Iron Man actually, and I think the one thing that we can all probably notice from Iron Man is that there isn't one body type that runs and swims and cycles an Iron Man course. Um, and you've probably, you know, you were mentioning when you watch it and things. You know, I'm sure you notice there's there's many different body types out there. Mm-hmm. I find this so interesting that like you know if I've got a stress fracture. I am not thinking about food. I am not, I like not until this very moment would mm-hmm. I have equated that yeah. uh, symptom or outcome to my food not being right. Like that's kind of mind blowing in a way. Um, and, and interesting that you've got that group, um, interdisciplinary group that you've got that you can, someone else can sort of see it and go, actually, that could potentially be Claire's place. Have a chat mm-hmm. here, look at this, talk through it. Um, mm-hmm. And without someone, you know, I don't know, like if, if someone's got a hammer, and, and this could sound wrong, but if someone's got a hammer, everything could look like a nail. Um, yeah. And so in a way, I suppose, um, it, depending on who you might go to as an athlete for advice could depend yeah. on what the person's frame of reference might be as to what the likely cause and, and solution is. Yeah. So, so that's really interesting. 
and I think I think certainly for me with my with my clinical background as well is that you know as a clinical dietitian um is that we have a lot of um, medical background training in terms of working in hospitals as well so I guess we're always taught to think think about other things that are going on um you know so we'll often if we do have concerns we'll often be asking our medics or writing to, to general practitioners and things um, about sort of having certain um, biochemistry taken, so certain blood results um, to, to look at as well and, and help get interpreted, um, just so that we can really find out where that athlete is. Um, and you know what, sometimes these athletes aren't always really, really underweight. You can you can pick up an athlete that's under fueling um, and that is starting to get things like injuries that aren't recovering and stress fractures. And actually, when you do look at things like hormonal um, profiles um, alongside a a medic or an endocrinologist, actually, you do see the symptoms of somebody who's under eating or under fueling. Um, So it's, it's, to me, it's fascinating. But I think it, I think, I think coaches and, and professionals working in sport need to sometimes take a bit more responsibility than than we do maybe um and and help educate athletes and I you know again part of my ethos behind working with with athletes is very much about about educating them and, and giving um sort of giving them that that information so that they can make really good decisions about food and nutrition um as well um mm. and dictating to, to people what to do but to kind of guide them I guess in a sense yeah and I mean you're the expert so it's like in in a way again like if if I'm getting stress fractures and I just want to do what I love and 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 compete and compete well um getting into a place where I've got injuries that won't heal that's just going to create a negative spiral because then I can't train as much it hurts I'm starting to doubt whether or not I can keep doing this thing um so I so I do love the idea of you you guiding people along and would would there be any sometimes it can be a little bit tricky to stick to a healthy lifestyle I mean you know you've mentioned the old um Battenberg cake yeah. uh, you can you can imagine for some uh, maybe that features a little too highly um you know that and others yeah. um, like it but do you have any um nothing against the cake it's, it does sound lovely yeah. but um, do, do you have any um you know tips for people that are wanting to uh, push along and and maintain a healthy eating plan like what's some tips there to sort of stick to yeah. it I, I guess one of the first things I'd say, and, and this is a general thing that comes up in most athletes that I see, is really fueling proper properly and refueling properly around your training sessions. So I often will see really busy um, athletes in full-time work. And often, let's face it, a lot of these athletes um, are in jobs that are, are pretty full-on. Um, you know, they must have might have rushed out the house in the morning, you know, maybe come from the pool and already done an hour and a half swim set, get into work and trying to eat breakfast or not even having time to eat breakfast. So number one in terms of sort of managing a healthy lifestyle and weight, um, and that's weight whether you're underweight or overweight or trying to man- manage a healthy or maintain a healthy weight, is make sure you're fueling properly around your sessions. So not leaving it hours and hours after training and then trying to eat because we will get starving, you know. We all know as athletes that we eat a lot, we're hungry a lot because we train a lot and we have to manage our appetites properly throughout the day. We can't just expect our bodies to um, recover and repair and then perform again later on in the evening um, if we're not fueling properly. Um, 
And what often happens when we're not fueling properly throughout the day is we've also got this mismatch of energy that's happening. Um, later on in the evening, we get home and maybe people are sorting children and things out in the evening or you're needing to come home and cook or whatever it might be. And we end up overeating because we're so hungry by that point because we, we, you know, physically really are, that's real hunger, we're starving. Um, and it just opens us up to overeating. So I think it's very much about managing um, our energy and our appetite throughout the day. And that's really difficult. And I, I often talk to people about managing appetite and, and actually do they know when they're hungry? Because um, a lot of us don't. We're, a lot of us eat very mindlessly, um, I would say, um, because other things happen. You know, you might be sat in an office or whatever you do for, for work or if you're um, um, you know, a mum or a dad at home, um, you know, you're sorting children out and, and things like that. And and we forget. We mm. don't all the time. So it's tough. It's really tough. Um, and that's why I always say, um, you know, it is it is the fourth discipline. It's it's something we have to think about just as much. And I think um, one of the things I always liken it to is I'm sometimes incredulous how we, um, and, you know, and I'm, I'm exactly the same in terms of spending money on things. You know, we'll go out and buy a really expensive time trial bike or the latest um, set of trainers or a lovely carbon pair of um, cycling shoes. And yet we won't spend time and money thinking about our nutrition and that to me is 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 pretty bonkers yes so that's an interesting thing isn't it it's and it's mm-hmm. like it wasn't until my coach kind of put me onto like eating whole foods and i mean like i always knew but then you know everyone else is doing it so i'm just eating whatever i wanted you know like and that's that's poor but it, it's yeah. you, you 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 know you're describing that lifestyle of like getting out, waking up, you know, I'm podcasting and then I'm out to a, a swim and then I'm yeah. back and it's, and it is for kids. And then we're, it's breakfast, it's whatever else you can grab. And then you're off to somewhere else. And, yeah. and like that couldn't describe my life any better that it, almost <laughs> nutrition is just, it's just, it's just squeezed in and, and, and it's as, and like, you know, you function well enough, but I'm not, uh, I, and, I, and I'm still not perfect to be at a point where I, I'm actually high performance fueling myself. So, so you mentioned for the fourth discipline. That's the name of your um, of your business, isn't it? So, if people wanted to reach out and work with you, mm-hmm. they, I'm guessing that they'd be able to do that online as well as in person. Yep. No, absolutely. I've got I've got athletes all over the place. So, um, yeah. No, I offer I offer online services as well for for athletes. Um, and also just about to set up um some training courses with coaches as well so giving coaches the opportunity to learn a little bit more to support athletes because you know as i said my ethos is very much about education and i i want i want coaches to be giving good advice you know they're at the the forefront of these athletes and working with them and um you know i think we have we have a responsibility to to give our athletes the right advice as well um so yeah, so if they wanted to reach out to you, where would they? How would they do that? So um, I've got a website. So um, it's the um, well, it's fourthdiscipline.co.uk, um, and on Instagram, I am the fourth discipline. Mm-hmm. And and I what I do find interesting is like I'm I just went and saw a physio yesterday, and um, you know. 
Oh, gosh. This, it just reminds me of this story that this guy, he um, comes to this person's house. He's got a squeaky floorboard. The floorboard squeak, squeak, squeak. And then yeah. it's just frustrating this man so much. And he's in this beautiful house and, and he's tried everything. He can't fix it. Yeah. And he calls out this um, carpenter and the carpenter comes out and, and, you know, he says, look, this squeaky floorboard. He's like, man, I can fix it. And he's like, oh, oh my gosh, whatever it takes. I, I would love for you to do that. And he's like, um, you know, how much is it going to cost? He's like, oh, well, $100. He's like, yes, let's do it. And he's like, signs up. The guy walks out to his car, comes back in a minute later with one nail in his hand, hovers over the floorboard, bang, hits the uh, nail into the into the floorboard, no more squeak. And the guy, he's like, fixed, mate. Um, and he's like, $100 for that? And he's like, oh, you know, how, how could that possibly – that that nail cost next to nothing. He's like, yeah, you, you know, the nail only cost $0.10, cents, um, you know, but it was $99, uh, you know, 90 for the for knowing where to exactly hit the nail. And and so having your expertise as a, as a you know, in this nutrition world, um, you know how to guide people through. And and, it, and I was seeing this physio yesterday and, and I sat down. He's like, here, try the foam roller. And I told him what my symptoms were. And he said, well, try the foam roller here like this. It stretched like this, move your leg on this knee, um, twist yep. like that, and then roll. And it hit the most painful spot in my body I've ever felt ever. And I yep. couldn't believe it. And I'm like, what is that? He's like, well, that's connected to this, is connected to that, is connected to this. Yep. And, and it wasn't anywhere near where my pain was. Yep. I'm rolling that out last night. And and my my the other part of my body feels magical. And yep. so – this building a team of people around you seems so intriguing. And like you said, well, I even have, um, you know, some trepidation about spending money on other things because of the fact that I'm spending a lot on a bike and a lot on races and a lot on trainers and a watch. But it's like maybe, you know, don't spend so much on the bike or the trainers. Anyone that's listening to this right now is like, hey, don't you tell me about my bike. Um, I but, love you know, my kid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love my kid. But but at the same time, having a physio and having someone guiding you through for the, from the food perspective and a coach, um, you know, it's important. And it, and I think it actually helps you to get more out of the sport. Um, and I think, you know, what you were saying about a physio as well, you know, having a really good, that really good team, a physio you can trust, or um, I work quite closely with um, strength and conditioning coaches as well. Um, and I just, I, I think there is, there is something around education in terms of, you know, it's all very well. And I see this year after year with athletes, you know, they bring out their amazing carbon time trial bike that's cost them, um, you know, in excess of, seven to ten um thousand pounds or whatever it might be but that's all very well but if you get a stress fracture and you're out for a season then what are you going to do with it then it's it's useless it's worthless essentially um and we can keep throwing money at things and i know often we're all like that well i might be faster if i buy something uh, um you know a lighter bike for example um well you might be or you could spend some money on getting your nutrition sorted out and educating yourself um, and you know what, that that isn't necessary for the long term either in terms of that education part. Um, you know, I would I would hate someone to be reliant on me, you know, for the next four years of their life. Um, you know, it's very much about educating and helping them to be able for them to be able to make those decisions themselves so that when I'm not there, they can go out and think, actually, what's the time of day? What do I need to eat? What's my training going to be? Where am I going tonight? Um, so that they're able able to do that. So I would say it's it's money well spent on those other members of the team. So things like your 
massage therapists, your physios, your strength and conditioning coaches. And I think we we all as athletes forget about all of those different pieces of the jigsaw, I'd say. Um, mm. you know, there's many pieces to this jigsaw and it's not just about equipment and um and how and how light your equipment is, or indeed how light you are. Um so yeah, in a way, it's like, you know, if you have your car, you take it to a mechanic, but the mechanic or the, you know, the the place where the, they would service it, they are able to actually probably look at every single thing to do with the car, you know, but when you go and have a coach or you, or maybe you don't even get your um, self-serviced, when are we getting our self-serviced? Someone, yeah. it could be either building a team around you and seeing multiple people you trust or seeing someone like yourself who's already kind of created that little, yeah. r- 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 that interdisciplinary yeah. ring of, of, yeah. of like a sphere around people that they can actually tap into the different parts um you know that's an interesting one so you know is it uh yeah having to try to work out who you need to see when you need to see them why you need to see them you know that's an interesting one too it i mean then it's tough i think because i think we've all probably been in that situation you know when i go back to kind of having an injury um you know you might um you might go and see somebody because you've got an injury so you might go and see a podiatrist and the podiatrist might say well you know you need to actually then need to see a physio or you need to do um do some strength and conditioning work but they don't necessarily know who to refer you to so you end up I think sometimes as an athlete getting really frustrated um because you don't know who to go and see for what um and I think looking at an athlete as a whole and actually um being able to refer on to people that you know probably would be able to support them or help them I think it's um, really really important and actually some of the work that I do with my um, coaches that I work with closely and also with um, my strength and conditioning coaches as well is I help them to identify um, even giving them some simple kind of checklists really in terms of picking up people that might need some support with nutrition um, and the strength and conditioning actually people come to me because they'll often tell me about you know their knee pain or their foot that's never recovering and actually for me to be able to know that some of those are signs that actually could be sorted out relatively easily if they did some strength and conditioning work, I know that then I can refer them on to, to a strength and conditioning coach. So you haven't got that athlete going round and round in circles. Um, and, well. and, trusting, and trusting that you're not, um, trusting that it's not just someone sending it to me mate you know like oh you know no worry mate yeah oh you really you really do need to have the thing and you think oh gosh do I actually need it do I not so finding someone you can trust is important absolutely and and you know and that's that's absolutely key and and one of the one of the first things actually whenever I speak to an athlete before before I take any sort of money from them before I even agree to take them on is that you've got to have that relationship and you, you know you've got to have a really good relationship with anybody that you're working with you know you're putting a lot of trust into that person um you know so one thing I always say is, is be really open and honest if you don't feel we can work together that's cool I'm fine with that um and and vice versa if I don't think that I'm going to be able to work with somebody I'm really open and honest about that as well because it's it is a relationship and um, I'm sure you you know you have a coach or have been coached um and you've got to trust your coach you've got to trust the people that are working around you to get to get the best results out of out of what they're asking you to do or um you believing in that plan i guess essentially as well mm. well I'd, I'd love to ask one um final question if i could and it is um you know and and there's been oodles of great stuff um, popping out yeah. right throughout this but from from your perspective yeah. what do you think makes up a successful mindset oh god good question 
Um, I think an element, probably an element of madness, um, but an, I think an element of being slightly realistic as well. Um, I think we need to be realistic enough to be able to hold ourselves back when we need to hold ourselves back. Um, because it's it's all very well having the kind of gung-ho approach and being able to um, push yourself to the limit, but I think you also need to know when to hold back. Um, and I think that is that in itself breeds a successful mindset. Um, you know, su success is about a healthy balance, isn't it, between between going kind of crazy and being able to have that knowledge and um, capacity to kind of pull ourselves back when we need to as well. Um, mm. So... Mm, I like it. And that, and that's an interesting one. I suppose sometimes having people around you to perhaps call out um, like, hey, you might be pushing it a bit hard. Be careful. Because yeah. at times like the guys will be like, oh, gosh, how come you're not taking salt tablets at something, something, something? I'm like, yeah. what are salt tablets? <laughs> and then the next thing, you know, I'm down at the shop's spine, you know, so so yeah. it can be a bit tricky to know where that balance is. So would you think like, you know, do you for yourself, how do you know where the difference is between too far and when to pull back is there some warning signs for you or something that you tell yourself walk yourself through yeah so I um for anybody who knows me I've learned I've probably learned the hard way and I think be, as an as athletes we as competitive athletes we will push ourselves and push ourselves and push ourselves and I think sometimes you have to learn no matter what somebody says to you you have to learn by your own mistakes and I think you know I guess I guess we do that the whole through whole you know way throughout our lives we we're constantly learning aren't we and I think um we need to be guided by people around us who tell us to stop or to hold back and I, I would say one of the and I, this goes back to you um really trusting the coach and the people around you if you have a really good relationship with your coach or with your strength and conditioning coach or your nutritionist or your team around you if they're all saying the same thing to you in terms of you you need to be holding back a bit because you are going to break at some point um you've, you've got to listen and I think um just you know keep if you just keep going and going and going you are going to break and then you'll need a period of time out so I guess I've learned by I've been lucky enough in the last um however many years it has been of racing never to really have had um apart from being run over by that oil tanker never really had an injury um, but the years of really pushing myself, I've now had a year out, um, which has kind of pained me, killed me to do that. But actually, upon reflection, it's what people have been telling me for, you know, for the last two years, probably, you've got to hold back, you're doing too much. Um, and not necessarily too much as in like, necessarily volume, just too much for what my body could maybe withstand at the time. Um, so I, I think, you know, we, it's it's a fine line that as athletes, we walk between that, you know, that work-life training balance. And that's really tough, you know, really tough to do. Mm, gosh, I have just absolutely loved this catch-up. It's been so awesome. You you are, you know, quite an inspiring lady. And, um, you know, we, we've shared the handles for where people can work with you. But, um, yeah. Claire, I just really want to say a massive, massive thank you for taking the time to share yeah. your wisdom and, and chat today. Thank you. And uh, enjoy your swim. Make sure oh, you feel afterwards, right? <laughs> yes. Now, for for everybody else listening, I'm about to go. It's winter here. I'm about to go and uh, do a big ocean ocean swim. So, um, I just I can see the messages popping up for for a few other few other uh, uh, inspiring athletes that are turning up right now for for the swim. Um, they'll be there shortly. So, uh, but I pr certainly appreciate that, Claire. You you have a wonderful day.
And you, thank, thank you very much for your time. It's been great chatting.